Remote work has long moved beyond simply being a trend or a lifestyle. It's a natural evolution in the way we work and collaborate, a complete and vital redesign with profound positive impact for businesses, teams, and society as a whole. With it comes a work culture revolution that requires putting freedom, trust, and conscious behavior at the core of every business who wants to thrive. I'm Sarah Regalhuth, your host, and I'm a serial entrepreneur, investor, and expert in growing happy, high-performing remote teams. Since 2014, I've been running all my businesses remotely, and that has deeply changed who I am as a leader. I've gone from micromanaging an unhappy team, suffering high turnover and working long hours, to moving to the US, traveling roughly six months a year and loving the shit out of my team and being constantly amazed as to what we're achieving. Join me as I dive into conversations about remote work magic, conscious culture, and the future of work with some of the most inspiring founders and leaders in the remote work space. Insights, tips, success, and failure, innovation, we share it all. Let's dive in. Welcome everyone to this week's episode of Conscious Culture. Today I have my friend Andy Seth with us. Andy and I have known each other for about five years, I think, um, when I moved to Colorado and I've been a member of EO, Entrepreneurs' Organization, may have probably talked about that many times on the show before. I was in EO in Australia for a couple of years and then transferred to the EO Colorado chapter. And I feel like I met you really early on, like we went out for dinner or something after the first event. Sushi, maybe yeah, in Boulder. So. That's right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. We did. Oh, <laughs> good throwback. And then we had San Diego, I think. Yes. One of the alchemies where we, some of the alchemies where we hung out. Yeah, totally. <laughs> San Diego was fun. I remember my forum took one of the afternoons off and went and we had that San Diego right. where we had the wave, or was that actually? Arizona. Yes, that was. It was. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Anyway, it was good fun. But uh, yeah, Andy and I have known each other for about four or five years now and um, through EO, we both live in Colorado and Andy, you've got your own podcast, The Andy Seth Show, which is super popular and, <laughs> and cool. Super humbly titled. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. I just literally bookmarked an episode that I want to listen to. Um, oh, good. Yeah, I'm super, super excited to listen. Something about working with Tony Shea and I'm a little bit obsessed with Tony Shea and his oh, yeah. holocracy yeah, things. Man. So yeah, kind of to dive oh, into cool. that yeah but andy tell us you tell us a little bit about you and what you do and what you're working on right now yeah um i think i think uh, like a lot of people now it's it's getting harder and harder to just put yourself into one category or box which i love by the way um so i think today what i'm doing is i run a company as a ceo uh, it's called flow marketing um and we're we'll hopefully we'll talk a lot about flow the concept um but the company's obviously named with that in mind. Um, and so that's my main, you know, everyday type of work. Uh, it's my ninth company. And so you can tell, I just really like the game. I enjoy the game of business. It's one of the best games I think there is. And then there's a number of projects I always have going on. I feel like, uh, in some ways it's my artistic outlet. Uh, I, I was a DJ for 10 years professionally. And I think there's always that little part of me that still is a DJ. I actually just got some decks, by the way, Sarah. I just got oh, some new so turntables cool. for my birthday. <laughs> 20, what is it? 20 years almost exact that I retired from DJing. Now, and now 20 years later, I've got wow, my next pair of turn. That's um, cool. <laughs> yeah. But, uh, but I've written a book. Um, and that was that was fortunate to to become a bestseller and uh, produced an album 
And so, you know, there's just a number of things, even, even the shirt I'm wearing, which, which, which uh, no one can, can see, but <laughs> the shirt I'm wearing, I, I like, I make my own clothes. I design them. Uh, I should actually say I design them. I don't, I don't physically stitch them, but you know, it's just always like trying to like, I love the creativity and the artistic nature of what business kind of allows you to do. Once you understand business, you can look at things in a different way and be like, you know what? I want that. And like, I just wanted these kinds of shirts and they sort of existed in one form, but not totally. And I was like, oh, well, I'm just going to get them made. Like, I just want that. Do you sell then, them? Is that one of your businesses? No, oh, no. Okay. No, just... <laughs> Yeah, just for my own little wardrobe. <laughs> I love it. Gosh, we are really similar, actually. And we're both Tauruses and our birthdays are three days apart, right? That's right. <laughs> <laughs> but I think I've also started nine companies. Um, and I totally, really? yeah, and I totally resonate with just like loving the game of entrepreneurship. Like that's, I, I love it. I feel like it was totally perfect when I discovered it as a thing and I look back now and I'm like, oh, it's kind of like I was destined for it, but I really didn't know what it was or think of it as a concept. Like when I was in school or even I started my first uh, like real company when I was 27. So even up until then, I, uh, you know, I, I saw it as business and I didn't necessarily know that I was cut out for that or just, I don't know, just didn't really think about it. But as soon as I, I was working with my dad and I was in financial planning, but working on the family business and I fell in love with the business side of it. And then starting my own company and just, I was also really creative at school. And I think it, it was like a way for me to express myself creatively because yeah, I really resonate with all of that that you were saying around, yeah. you can just birth something and bring it to life. And it's amazing. It's so powerful. And it represents to me so much of that, of that concept of, I get to create my life however I want it. Yeah, totally. You know, it's it, like, um, I've been listening to a lot of different artists too, especially as I was, as I was writing and making music and I was listening to artists talk about the difference between owning your masters. Have you ever heard that, that term before? Owning your masters. It's not like people who are masters over you, but rather the music itself. If you own your masters, the music, you're an independent artist typically on a, on an independent label or your own and you own the destiny of that. Mm. And so you have to do the distribution and the marketing on all those things, but they're yours. You have full creative control. And similarly on a book, you can go sell, you know, a, and get a, get a publishing deal, but then you don't own the master. There's somebody there that's saying, here's how I want you to adjust your creative because they've got to make their money off of that. And, mm. and in both cases, I chose to go an independent route. I chose to go with a publisher who is a flat fee publisher, meaning they don't take a cut of sales. That was not my concern. My concern wasn't whether they make money off of the sales. My concern was I have this thing I want to write this way mm. and I don't want, I want your advice and expertise, but I don't want your final say. I want my final say. Mm -hmm. So that, that difference is for me, like the entrepreneurial mindset at the end of it, you're making this decision and I just want it to be like this and I will live with the results, good, bad, and different. I'll live with them, but this is what I want to put out into the world. And I wanted to put out a book a certain way. I wanted to put out music a certain way. And I think when we look at businesses, it's similar. We own our mm -hmm. master mm. and the business is in that case, our master. Oh, that's so good. And timely. I'm writing my second book right now. My second book that's definitely going to be published. I have like four others that I'm writing, but that's another story. But my first book, I had a publisher. And the reason I had a publisher was because I was approached by the publisher to write. I wasn't actually planning other than 
like many of us, I was like, oh, I'd like, love to write a book one day. But I, I actually was approached, would you like to write a personal finance book? And I just jumped on the opportunity because it was right there in front of me. This time around, however, I'm bringing a book to the world like you said, on my terms, I've kind of come up with the idea and I've birthed this concept that I want to bring to life. And I've received really strong downloads to uh, self-publish. So I'll pick your brain offline about that. But um, I love the way that you framed it because I think one of the big things is the way that I want to approach this book is I don't actually think it needs a lot of words. And um, a traditional business book with a publisher, they'll want you probably punching out between 40 and 70, but probably like 50,000 words, um, which is fine. But I don't need that many words to say what I'm going to say. And one of the things that happens to me when I read books is I often get about a third of the way in. I'm like, eh, I've kind of got the concept now. And then I'm like already bored and I move on to the next thing. And I feel like I'm putting out, I'm just going to write until I've said everything that I need but my sense is that it won't be a really long book. So that's another, you know, creative license that I would like to take control over. Yeah. Totally. So that was really totally. timely. I actually get the same, I get the same level of, I guess I call it fatigue or like, I feel like I've gotten what I needed to out of books. And I remember the first time I read a book and decided to not finish it. It was like a whole new concept to me. I was like, I don't have to finish this. <laughs> I was like, wait, I, remember, I don't like there was this. Like a, <laughs> I don't right, want to keep spending hours a, of my time reading it. <laughs> it was a minor amount of guilt actually for me because I was like, feel bad. Like, don't I need to finish this thing? Like I bought it. It was almost like you bought, you, you put food on the plate, finish your yeah. food. <laughs> you know what I was like? But I was like, I don't, I actually, it's not a good analogy. There's the food is not going to waste. This book is not going to waste if I don't read the last half of it. So once I started putting down books, I remember thinking, you know what holds my attention? Visuals, visuals hold my attention in books and not super geeky graphs, but, uh, like pictures mm -hmm. basically. And I know this sounds so probably too like, you know, juvenile. It's like, oh, you like picture books, but I'm telling you like, I do. I, I enjoy seeing pictures and getting a visual break. So when I wrote this book, I had written the whole thing and I was like, you know, I personally don't want to flip through this. I had the manuscript printed out and I was like, I personally don't even like flipping through this book that I'm about to put out there. I want pictures. And so I found a friend of mine owns an, a design agency. I, I hired her and, and one of her designers to draw 52 custom illustrations for the book. And I picked 52 because there's 52 weeks in a year. And I thought this could be kind of cool if you turned it into one of those little desk calendar things. There's 52 cards in a deck. So maybe it could be turned into a card deck. Um, and it would make for cool social media if I just post some of the images here. But more than anything, I just wanted a visual break. And so we designed every one of those illustrations together, me and the designer. And I was thinking, you know, that's the kind of thing where when you own that, the publisher may not have gone for that. They would have said, why are you wasting the money? Or like, why are you wasting our money? In, my, in this case, it's my money. Why are you wasting time? Like, let's get this thing out. But I felt like if I'm picking up this book and I don't want to flip through it, then how am I going to ask other people to flip through it? And I need visual breaks to flip through a book and it'll keep me going. Cause I might even look at a visual and say, Oh, you know what? I like that quote. Let me just see what that's about. Mm. And so that's how I designed the book, but you have freedom and control. And I think that's, that's the thing I like to preach to people is think about what you own, you know, think about what you control and there's freedom in that. Even if it's not as big quote unquote, as what people can do or what you think you should do. My book's 
a bestseller. It's a number one bestseller, but I'm by no means making like paying for anything off of book, you know, royalties. I'm not paying for anything off of the music that streams that they're just random little checks. That's it. I wanted to put this out in the world. Mm-hmm. I felt like I was the right messenger to put these things in the world. That's a whole different level of freedom when you're not attached to the outcome. Oh, that's beautiful and very well said. It makes me think about intuition in leadership in general. And mm-hmm. I guess as an entrepreneur, we do have free reign as well, because obviously there are leaders within organizations, but in our role as leaders of our company, especially we have a lot more free reign over implementing the things that come to us. I would love to actually hear more about how, what sounds like was a really intuitive process with your book. How do you, how does that come in the rest of your life, in the rest, in business, in anything? Yeah, uh, it's pretty awesome. So you know how you mentioned you have like other books that you've written and this one right now is the one you're going to go publish. So we are more similar than we even know. <laughs> uh, I have a book that I shelved. And so I wrote this whole book and it was basically a book on, on giving, how to be a strategic giver, you know, how to help people, but also not hurt yourself in the process. And it was an answer to a lot of the people, a lot of people would ask me like, how do I do something? Just give me some tangible, how do I make a difference in the world? And so that was, that's this book I wrote. I wrote the book, was with the publisher who was doing the same thing, this flat feed type of situation. And I was in a meditation and the message, if you will, came to me for this other, what became this book, Bling is the one I published. But that message came to me when I came out of the meditation, I thought maybe it was a speech. And so I actually went and wrote it and delivered it as a speech, but I actually just read it. I didn't even edit it. I just had an hour keynote and I read what I wrote the night before. The response to that was so great that I knew, like I felt it, that the intuition was, this is a book, not, this wasn't meant to be this speech. It's touching people immediately. You can see it based on the question and answer period that I had, which uh, was a lot longer and more deep than the typical Q&As that I have. And I shelved the other book like that. It wasn't even a, it wasn't even a question. That's, you know, yes, it was a, however many 50,000 words or what, like it, this message was so powerful. I just believe that it came to me for that reason, that strong because it needed to be first. And I can still always publish the other one if I want, but this book bling needed to come out. Mm. And so that's what I mean when I say like no attachment, that's not an attachment. I, I wasn't needing to put this book out. None of these books make me money. They're not even lead gen for my business, right? Like they have nothing to do with anything. They're about what's the thing I want to help people with. If I think of myself more as a servant and serving people, then this is a, what something I think that helps a lot of people, this book. So put it out there and your next book can help people too, but this needs to come first. So I trust this stuff, my intuition more and more, but I don't, I can't say that that's always been the case. I'm learning that that is a very practical tool that I've ignored for, ignored to some degree for a long time. I always felt like I needed to consult a lot of people or, you know, get a lot of people's advice. And and at this point, and maybe it's just a refinement at this point, but like, I feel pretty confident in my intuition in certain kinds of decisions. Isn't it fascinating how one of the ways we learn our intuition is by all the times we didn't follow it. (laughs) And we're like, I knew that, but I just went against it. I listened to somebody else or I, you know, thought I went with something more conventional because I felt like my, what, what I was feeling inside was too kind of out there or too strange. I find that really interesting. Mm-hmm. I feel like that's one of the ways that I've honed my intuition is by like how many times I went against it that eventually I was like, all right, all right, all right, I'm just going to do it. And now it's more like I'm at this stage now where I'm like, 
really curious with it and really trying to open to it and listen for just more deeper messages, not just necessarily my intuition on the decision I need to make that's very present and very in front of me, but what just comes to me you know, out of the blue that I don't even know there's a decision that needs to be made or I don't need even know there's a path that I need to be taking and all of a sudden, you know, it'll come to me in meditation or sometimes it's just, I mean, I think we meditate and then we have meditative activities. You know, I might just be cooking or doing something where my mind's gone a bit blank for a minute and all of a sudden I start formulating these thoughts and understanding what's actually going on. Almost everyone experiences this, whether they meditate or not, usually in a shower. Yeah. And, and right, they, almost everyone has experienced what we're talking about. It's just a question of, do you get more of those opportunities? Do you give yourself more of those during the day than the shower? And meditation, as you know, is one way that you can hone that, that skill. And then it has the carryover. I love how you put it. There's meditation and meditative activities. And the meditative activities, like if, if you allow for the space in between thoughts, things come in. But if your thoughts are stacked one on top of each other, well, there's no new thought allowed in, no new intuition, no inspiration, no ideas. It's, it's like a uh, music, right? If you, if you take music and you stack one, but if you create space in between notes, you have music, you have harmony, mm. but without space, there's no music. And I think the same thing with thoughts. Without space in between thoughts, there's nothing beautiful that's going to come out. You're just stacking noise. Oh, wow. And the beauty comes in between. But how long can you make that space? How much space can you, can you put there? That's why I think it's really important to force yourself to find a practice of meditation. And I say force because I know you probably shouldn't, but I just feel like it's so dang useful. Mm-hmm. I don't I don't want people to shy away from it because it might feel like a waste of time or like they can't do it. I get that. I struggled with it myself for a long time. I mean, that's, that's largely why I wrote, like why I think I wrote a whole portion of this book about meditation and the kind that I use and, the, and how I teach it. Uh, I didn't have like a guided one on for free on my website. Like oh, I, I believe it's so, so practical in creating that space that's where awesome stuff comes in. Oh, it is. We'll definitely include all of those links in the show notes, but I really agree with you that, and it's only as we're speaking here that I reflect that it's the practice of regularly meditating that then spills over into the rest of our lives where we do start to create that more space. And even though many times, and I've been meditating for a long time or not a long time, but a number of years, um, Mm -hmm. But, you know, many times I still sit down and I'm like, I don't know what I'm doing. I'm just sitting here with my eyes closed. Like I'm, I'm trying to get into that space, but I'm not. And that's okay because I'm still just being still with myself and I'm still at least practicing with my monkey mind that everybody has. And I think that's one of the misconceptions I hear from new meditators or those who have heard about it but haven't started yet is like, yeah, my mind just will not shut off. Like uh, my mind is not like yours. Like you don't know what it's like up in this crazy place. And I'm like, no, we all have the crazy place. Even the monks have the crazy place. Like that is what being human is. Yeah. I, I like that you say that. I'm going to start saying that too. I, I usually try to f- 
feign some level of empathy and in, in, in the back of my head, I'm like, yeah, well, I have the exact same thing, but I'm actually just, <laughs> I, I'm going to take your, I'm going to take what you're saying there and say that, you know what we, that's literally the human experience. Yeah. We, we all have that. It's just a question of, have you, de- have you decided to deal with it? Yeah. Amen. That's so true. That's it. Mm. Mm-hmm. I so like that. tell me about, I guess, like intuition, meditation, flow, all of these things we're talking about. Tell me about how, do you talk with your team about it? Is it part of your company? Is it just some, a personal practice? Yeah. Um, I think the general answer is there's pieces I'm working into the business and there's also, I, I don't think I have it. It's not complete. Um, I remember actually when we were getting together for, for lunch that day, I asked you that very question too, right? Like, what do you do? to bring it into your team because I'm always trying to listen and learn, you know, are, are there other ways that I could bring, be bringing this in? Um, I, I do, I did, I think I got a couple things that have worked out to be, to be good. One is the company's mission is really strong to begin with. Um, we're a B Corp for people that are familiar with that. And we're top 10% of all B Corps worldwide. And that's because of the social impact we make. So it's baked in, in terms of purpose. You know, our purpose is every dollar we're making, we're, we're actually funding an apprenticeship for a low income youth in, in our Amazing. business. So that, that part of wanting to tie our mission, a greater mission in life, which drives fulfillment was intentionally baked into the business. I'm actually curious how you feel about this. My last business was wealth management. And so I oh yeah, that we for, have that in common as well. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Wild. And it was, you know, uh, a pretty got to be a pretty sizable company and, and I sold the majority of the interest. And in that, in that company, I tried to find ways to use what we had to do good. You know, we donated money, we sponsored things. We had like days of volunteerism that we would give. But ultimately the point of that business was to make other people money. Like no matter which way I tried to cut and skin that thing, that was the fundamental point. There wasn't a higher purpose. Mm-hmm. And, and I guess I tried to even frame it like, well, it's to provide people with freedom. And all. But it, you know, for me, it, like it wasn't enough. It wasn't, I felt like I'm capable of making a much bigger impact through business than this. And I think at some point, like it was just enough. I was ready to figure out how to go do that. And I needed a different business model for that. Did you experience anything like that? Or do you, do you even not, do you even feel like that? Um, I felt like that with my first business. So my first private wealth management firm, which was very much more of a traditional um, financial planning company where we dealt with wealthier retirees and pre-retirees managing their money. Yeah, and, that's what I had. Yeah, and, okay. I, and I did. I sort of became bored essentially. I was like, well, that's nice, but it's not, you know, exactly as you mm-hmm. say, it's not like super engaging for me. And what mm-hmm. I discovered along my journey was that millennials, my generation, were not receiving financial advice. And so many of my friends were reaching out to me and saying, well, what should I do? What, how can I do this? And wanting it, but it didn't exist. And Mm -hmm. then I launched Wealth Enhancers, which became Australia's first millennial focused financial planning company. And that I felt much more um, purpose and mission aligned because I felt very passionate about helping people 
from an earlier age, heal their relationship with money, create a better relationship with money, educate themselves on finance and, you know, work with an advisor to actually start growing their wealth. So, and, and ultimately the way that that business worked was quite different because we had this whole coaching element and that business still exists. We had this whole coaching element and it was all focused around understanding what your goals and your values were and who you were as a person. And we would unpack the belief systems and their history and experiences with money. So it was like a pretty a totally different way of doing that. Yeah, yeah. But I went through the same thing as you, where I kind of, I mm-hmm. fell into financial planning with my dad, thought it was mm-hmm. great to help people manage money, went into that as my first business. And then I was like, yeah, I think I'm, I'm the same. I really love to know most of my companies are B Corps are applying to be B Corps. We were the 55th B Corp in Australia when the whole movement came out there. Yeah. So we've been involved with it since um, day one in Australia. Um, But yeah, so I'm very passionate about just that the businesses that, and everything that I bring to the world is making the world better, not, you know, that there's a positive net impact, not a negative net impact. So yeah. Yeah. Oh, that's cool. Okay. That makes me feel a little bit better about it because sometimes, you know, um, when you look at the world of finance, actually, I was talking to a friend of mine. Um, uh, I'll, I'll just say Ryan, Ryan Harris, if, if, for anybody that's listening, that would have been a football player, fan, football fan. He, he won the Super Bowl with the Broncos um, just a couple years back. And so Ryan and I were just talking last night uh, about this, this concept, I guess, if you will, about, um, you know, in, in money management or the finance world, let's say, and in athletics, professional athletics, there's such a massive drive towards one goal, make more money. <laughs> and mm-hmm. I asked him how do other coaches like Phil Jackson uh, from the Lakers and Bulls and Pete Carroll, like how do they bring mindfulness in? Because Ryan's been practicing yoga while being a player uh, and he was considered, some people looked at him like he was soft right? Like, what are you do? What are you doing with that? Like, mm-hmm. come on, like you're the, you're supposed to be a tough guy. And I said, you know, interestingly, like in my, at least the world I experienced in money management, it felt like that too. It felt like, what are you, why are you like, we're about money. Like don't bring all that other shit around here. Oh yeah. And, Everyone in Australia just thought we were crazy. They were like, you know, we had <laughs> lovers or haters. I mean, some people really loved uh-huh. what we were yeah. doing, but we polarized the industry for sure. Yeah. Yeah. I kind of wish I would have I wish I would have learned what you were doing there and maybe even attempted that because that sounds so much more fulfilling to help people on the come up, first of all, and to have found a business model that can help them that still takes care of you. That's the, that to me is the genius of it. It's never been uh, unknown that young people need help with money. The problem is the best people at it make the most money helping the wealthiest. Mm -hmm. That's the problem. And it's just like every other thing in our world where we have this conditioning. And one of the ways that the most common way that financial planners charge is a percent of the funds that they manage. And that's why it could never work for helping, you know, someone who was just starting out and they could only afford to invest a hundred dollars a month. Like you're going to be making like what would you be making? Like one cent, two, two bucks. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. So yeah, one one dollar or something like that a month. Like you just you couldn't do it. And so um, mm-hmm. what we created was a much more robust model that delivered all of this coaching and other things that were valuable 
um, in terms of their mindset, their own personal development. And we priced more for looking at it as some kind of ongoing coaching relationship that also had financial advice attached. So there was, you know, part of the pricing was for the financial advice, but it was all flat fee and it was a monthly flat fee. So yeah, people could just pay that. And it, it, from an ethical standpoint as well, it felt really good to sit down in front of someone and say, well, it doesn't matter to us if you're worth, you know, $10 or negative, many cases, negative $50,000 in credit card debt or a hundred thousand or a million or 10 million. We still charge you the same fee because we're charging you for the work that we do. Um, wow. Yeah. Yeah. That's, that's, that's very different. <laughs> it's way out there. Yeah. Very different. I, I think I dig it. I'm, I'm totally digging on it. Let me, let me ask you a question just so switching gears, but I'm very curious about this because you have, you have a great like business with the remote, uh, with the remote team, but helping other people build those businesses. I talk a lot internally about entrepreneurship, the mm. concept of fostering the same mindset, but having the stability of, of, you know, steady income. And I think I've, I, I intentionally try to recruit for that type of a mindset, somebody who wants to be responsible like an entrepreneur and own that, but, uh, and have the tools, but, but be given some tools to do their job and, and the products already kind of invented, if you will, and uh, they have the stability, right? What's your thought on entrepreneurship, and and do you do you like see that that's a need for some folks, or do you do you typically try to encourage people to go into into owning their own business and, and into entrepreneurship? No, I, and that's exactly the type of people that I hire into my team as well. I think there's a lot, particularly within the millennial sector, which is becoming quickly the largest growing, you know, part of the talent pool is is millennials, the oldest millennials are now, I guess, 40, 41 this year, maybe even. Um, so, you know, we're talking 20 years experience, professional experience now. I'm, I'm at the older end, I'm 39, so I'm at the older end of that scale. But yeah, essentially, I see that within that millennial talent pool, especially what they value is freedom and flexibility and empowerment, along with being engaged with the mission, which is very similar to what entrepreneurs want. You know, we want to do something we care about because, you know, otherwise we're going to get bored and it takes a lot of passion and energy to bring something to life. So you definitely have to care about it to some degree or another. And we want that freedom, that flexibility, and we want to have control over our own lives. And so that's what I've experienced is those, there is a big if we as entrepreneurs and leaders can let go of the reins enough to empower our teams to be truly in that type of role where they are kind of in that entrepreneur space, um, mm -hmm. I'm having a lot of success with that. Very good to know. That's, that's cool. I, I felt like I don't hear about that concept that much, entrepreneurship, but I, I'd say that's one of the things that I bring in to the business a lot. Like you had asked, what are the, maybe like the different tools of whether it's flow or, or spiritual tools or what have you. Um, this is none of those, but this is a concept that I think is, is downplayed, right? Like I, I feel like the glory always goes to the visionary, right? The, the, the covers are always the people that were, that started the, the company. But the truth is a huge amount of wealth and purpose is generated by those that built the companies inside. And I just think it's a matter of 
not looking at what the outside world is saying, like is worth something. Because if you looked at it that way, then you should be the you know CEO of a public company. Uh, but, but really you get a lot of fulfillment and, and, uh, I think, I guess wealth too. I mean, that's just straight up. Like if you are helping build a company from the inside and taking on a lot of that ownership, right? Like we, I think you operate on EOS. Do you, do you use that at all? Roughly. Traction? We have like a Roughly. modified version. I've re- I ran it for like eight years and then oh. I've, it, my intuition has been like guiding me towards something that's very similar though. But yeah. Yeah. You, you modified it. There's no yeah. shock there. Um, <laughs> you can't tell entrepreneurs same. how to run their business. I know. <laughs> no, it's a great system. It really is. It is. It is. Um, so we, we run, we run on it too. And having that integrator type of person is so key, but I feel like they're so underappreciated by the general business world, but we know there is no way you build a great business without that person. Oh, no there's, way. There's That's my first no hire. My first hire is my integrator, which for those listening mm-hmm. who, who aren't familiar with the language, it's essentially like a COO or an operations manager or potentially even a general manager, but they're generally very focused on building out all of the systems and the processes and bringing to life all of the different projects and ideas that we as entrepreneurs are constantly coming up with. And my right. biggest constraint before I had one would always be that I would come up with these ideas, they'd go on my list and then they'd just like stare at me every day. Like, Mm. when are you going to do me? And then I would almost get creatively blocked because I didn't want Uh anything else to land on that list because it was so daunting. (laughs) And having having an integrator and someone who I can just hand that stuff off to who really kind of runs the Mm. business essentially on the day-to-day just frees me up so much. Yeah. And and on that creativity front, the one thing I think we have done that's working well is we've used flow state as a productivity and a creativity tool. Now, not, not all of my team has the kind of work where they can block their time out the way that flow state is requires. We have on one part of the business, a a team of agents, customer support agents, and they're working with real time communications with customers. So they, they don't quite have this luxury, but my leadership team does. So we have a rule, if you will, in the company that till noon, there's no emailing Slack, there's no communications, no meetings scheduled. It's just meant for flow state work. And I've taught how to get into flow state. I've actually recorded two webinars on it now just so that other people can use that. Um, But effectively, if you can get into flow once a week, the, the studies show that you can four to seven X your productivity or creativity. So let's Amazing. just call it five X on average. That's like saying you could do a week's worth of work in one day. Mm-hmm. Right. And, and so we try every day and I would say generally for me, I get in probably twice a week, some weeks up to three, some weeks, honestly, like one or even zero. Um, <laughs> it's a little bit, like, I don't know why this came to my mind, but it's a little bit like when, when you talk about like, if somebody says like, how much sex do you have? <laughs> and if you, if you average it, it sounds really good. But the truth is like, some weeks, some weeks, some weeks I have it a lot. And some weeks it's kind of dry. Um, <laughs> I don't know why that just came out, but. It's all right. Uh, we talk about I, everything on this show. It's great. <laughs> so, Bring your whole that, self. It's one of our philosophies. Well, there, there it is. Uh, there it is. So, so yeah, it's on average, I'd say two a week, twice a week. But, uh, but the truth is some, some weeks are better than others. But you know what? That's what flow states like. 
you got to keep working at getting in. And if you can get in, whoa, man, amazing stuff happens. When I wrote Bling, I wrote it in five days. And I intentionally triggered flow day and day till night. It was 8 a.m. till 10 p.m. for five days. And the book was done. Well, so. I need to like watch one of these webinars right now because <laughs> I'm at the point where I punched out about half of my book. And now I'm at that like, uh, don't know. I just like, don't, I sit down <laughs> on my computer and I do all the other things. I am producing so much content right now. That is not my book. <laughs> <laughs> it's like, I'm just like firing off all this stuff. And I'm like, okay, at some point, Sarah, you really need to stop writing random pieces of content that are all amazing. And my marketing team, like, thank you. This is great. But like, <laughs> usually they're like, Sarah, can you write us an article? Can you do something for us? And finally, I'm just like firing it off at them. They're like, wait, something's up here. You're not writing your book, are you? <laughs> well, for, for, for anyone that's listening right now that, uh, that is interested in, in getting this, um, like the, the webinar or learning about flow state or even hearing about the things that I teach on it, real quick, uh, you can text this phone number. I have like a little texting set up just because in podcasts, it's kind of hard to like then remember a website address. So if you've got your phone, let me give you this phone number and text, text the words, feel me flow feel me flow, uh, three different words, like a space in between, feel me flow, text 646-495-9867. And so if you're listening, just text feel me flow to that number. Um, it'll subscribe you onto, uh, the list of people that I, that I send all this stuff out to, but I have the recordings, I can send it to you. Um, and every time I teach flow state, and again, there's no business model attached to it. I just know it's so dang useful that like it's important to teach other people. And frankly, as I teach, I do research. When I do that research, I learn like this one extra thing that I hadn't been doing. And then I bring it to the team. I'm like, Hey, here's this other little piece of it. For example, one of the things I didn't know about flow is to get into flow. You actually have to, um, do an active release. You have to go into a frustration phase and then an active release before you can get into flow. And there were days where I would get frustrated and I would try to power through the frustration to get into flow and I wouldn't get in. I'd be like, oh, what I didn't know was, but some research found was if you go into that frustration, frustration is required to get into flow because you're working on something challenging. You can't get into flow if you're not working on something challenging. Mm. So that frustration was required and then you need to give an active release, five, 10, 15 minutes of like an, a walk, not exercise, that's too much. It'll stimulate the wrong brain activity. But an, an, like an active release, sometimes I do it unintentionally, right? That's like I'm awesome. frustrated and I go, I just need to take a step away. But it's actually a strategy for getting into flow. And mm. I didn't know that. Amazing. So is that like, because sometimes I sit down and I fluff around and then I start getting frustrated and then I'm like, all right, I'm going to go get a cup of coffee. I'm going to reset and I'm coming back. Is that kind of like what it is? A little bit, yes, but you need a little bit more, a little bit more movement okay. um, than necessarily the cup of coffee will allow. So if you took that cup of coffee and went for a walk with it mm -hmm. for 10 minutes, that will give you everything you need. It's, wow. it's what's happening is you got to switch into a different brainwave and, and the brainwave only activates uh, when you have a little bit more motion in your body, but the wrong brain wave will activate if you get too active. Okay. So if somebody goes and exercises, you're going to kill the juju to mm -hmm. get into flow. Yeah. Right. And, and if you're just getting coffee, it's, it's a good step back, but it won't get you, it won't get you to dive in. So mm. that's, that's that. One. 
Yeah. I definitely do notice though that I, I have this thing where I'll sit down, it's all going not great. And then I'm like, all right, like let's just reset everything. And it, it might be like, I've got to go get my, my water, my tea or coffee. I like put my crystals, I light my candle. I'm probably like fluffing around for a bit. And then I'm yeah. like, okay, there is no more, like just do this. And now it, just it does tend to work, but it, I'm probably like sometimes accessing what you're talking about, but it's not with intention. So that's super interesting. Yeah. And that's, that was the same thing. And it wasn't until I read that research. There's also, I, I, uh, learned about how to create flow state routines. Mm-hmm. And it, you can see this, the, the, the listeners won't be able to hear, see this, but there's a bottle of rose water on my desk. Mm-hmm. And rose water was worked into my flow state routine. I created this whole routine. It was like listening to Anderson Pock, uh, spray myself with rose water on the face because all Indians love rose water. Um, <laughs> so spray myself. Uh, I had like um, one of my malas set out there, a little heart from my daughter, like all these little trinkets. And I created this routine so that when I would sit and write, I did those steps and I would sit and write and over months, I would condense the routine. So instead of listening to Anderson Pock's song, I might just listen to the verse. And what you're trying to do is create this routine that gets you into flow and over time shrink that routine to the point where the, the masters of this can just think about mm. one of the things in the routine and get into flow. Bobby Fisher, the search for Bobby Fisher, that the, the real chess player was a guy named Josh Waitskin. He could get himself into flow state playing chess as a, as a you know, young grandmaster chess player just by thinking about what was in his flow state routine. His so ritual. for me, I used mm. rose water as my trigger. Oh, I love that. That's amazing. <laughs> this kind of reminds me of when I understood the concept that we only have, and I can't remember the exact number, but it's something like two hours, 45 of like high productivity brain activity every day. And everything after that two hours, 45 is basically just depleting. Like you're just getting less and less productive. So obviously combining these two concepts, you'd want to be trying to use that that activity in your flow state, but let's not get too complicated for right now. But one thing I did that really did stand out to me is that multitasking requires high intensity brain activity because the actual act of quickly switching backwards and forwards between a task, mm-hmm. if you're typing, writing something out, somebody comes and speaks to you, you it, it is actually a lot for your brain to stop thinking about what you're typing be fully present with them to the point that you can actually hear what they're saying and respond and then come back into that place that you're typing. Then your phone pings and you look at that. And I mean, I think we all know how many times you've ended up down some rabbit hole and you're like, wait, what was I doing? And that is because that is how hard it is for our brains to actually multitask, which is not a real thing. And what I understood was, you know, there was a lot of pride at some point years ago of like, I'm such a good multitasker. Like I can handle all of this stuff going on. Really what you're doing is using all of that high intensity brain productivity to flick between tasks rather than on the actual tasks. What a waste. Mm-hmm. And that was super a, powerful for me. That's a great, that's a great thing to, to know. Yeah. I, I guess if, if we really only have two hours and 45 minutes of the really high intensity brain weight, brain power, Maybe 5X is just one good business day then. (laughs) Well, the funny thing is, I mean, since I've been working more in my own flow and with my own energy and not flow necessarily to the degree that you're talking about, but I I refer to it as just my flow, my natural ebb of my day and where my energy is even Mm -hmm. 
weekly, even monthly, even as a woman with my menstrual cycle. Like, let's be frank, that is a real thing. And we have different energy throughout the month. When I can be more attached with my energy and understand it all and actually work and tap in and dive in when I'm feeling creative, when I'm feeling productive, when I'm really in that good space, um, I get so much more done. But what I've noticed is I don't have to work as many hours because if I work those high energy creative moments where I'm maybe in a bit more of a flow state or I'm using that high brain activity, like I don't actually have to kill myself for 10, 12, 16 hours a day because I can get a lot done. I believe you, it is five times more productive. Like sometimes I'm like, holy moly, Sarah, you just crushed that. Like, and it's like, how did I do all that in one day or one half a day? That last I, week took me four days just to tick those things off. Like totally, you know, it's it's uh like some people say they like to come into their office early because there's no emails, there's no one there to distract them. Mm-hmm. All, all they're doing is removing the distractions to get into a basically a, a soft flow state. There's a soft flow and there's a hard flow state. Soft flow means that you can get into flow, but if any distractions occur, you'll come out of it. When people are in a hard flow state, they're so in the flow that nothing bothers Ooh, them. I love that. <laughs> like elite athletes are really, really good at that. Like nothing, nothing phases them. It's, it's as if they don't hear the audience or whatever the elements may be, if they're rock climbing, that kind of thing. Mm-hmm. And so we have to recognize that if we're learning this skill, we're going to be in soft state. Yes. And if we're in soft state, you got to remove those distractions. So it might be coming in early. It might be just literally like closing Slack and closing out your email, telling people, hey, just so you know, tomorrow, like I'm going to be unreachable during these hours. So that way people, people know what to expect. And then the other element I would just add is if there's any information you need, have that prepared before you try to go into flow state. If you don't have all of the info. It's kind of like a manufacturing line. If you don't have all the parts to manufacture what you need, you're going to go ask for the parts and now you're back communicating and you can't really get into flow if you don't have everything you need. So just give yourself a little bit of, uh, of like preparation where if you said, you know, I need these components in order to do this work, go get the components before you sit down. Mm. Cause once you're there, you can get in. But the minute you realize you don't have something, you go fishing on the internet and ta-ta, you know that. that You're down the rabbit hole. (laughs) Well, and that, that kind of, yeah, it speaks to what I was talking about as well. It's our brains don't work that way and that they can just drop right back in. It just doesn't work like that. So that's amazing. I love this conversation and all of these tips and things. And I think our listeners are really going to appreciate it. So thank you so much for sharing everything. It's just been really amazing. So yeah, thank you so much for joining us. I think we'll wrap it up there. It was just such a good conversation. And is there anything else that you feel is valuable that you would like to leave anyone with? Is there anything else that you're thinking? Yeah, I'm, I'm really open with communicating with folks. So if you, uh, go to the website, you'll be able to contact me in a number of different ways. Just go to andyseth.com. Um, you'll have all kinds of ways that to, to communicate, but I, I love helping people and, and learning too. that people always have different tidbits for me. So uh, I'm really open about it. This is not one of those like, well, just listen to what I've said and uh, you can't contact me. I, I appreciate hearing from folks. So, so reach out. 
I love that about you. And I really appreciate it. And I appreciate this conversation because it's very much, you know, backwards and forwards. And I love a curious mind, a fellow curious mind. So I think it's, it serves us well to always, um, I know there's some really wise saying that I can't think of right now, but it's something to do with like, you know, when we think we know everything is when we really, you know, that's when we go into that fixed mindset and we don't know anything. And um, it's that mm-hmm. act of always staying open and always staying curious. That means we constantly learn and expand and grow as humans. So it's super cool. And yeah. we will include links to everything in the show notes um, and all of that fun stuff. So everyone can get in touch with you, but thank you so much, Andy, for joining me. I really appreciate you today. It was great. Thanks Sarah. Likewise. Thanks for listening to this episode of Conscious Culture, The Evolution of Work. Follow us as we further explore real stories of remote companies and the thriving cultures they are creating. To stay updated with all our episodes, subscribe to the podcast in your favorite podcasting app. In the show notes of each episode, you'll find some of our favorite remote work and culture resources. However, if you want to have a chat about remote work, how it's done and how it can benefit your company, feel free to reach out to me directly anytime. My email address is sarah at growmyteam.com.au.